That's footage from Oklahoma this week, when a statewide teacher's strike closed public schools as state leaders considered pay raises for educators after years of falling budgets. The walkout came more than 70 years after what many historians think was the nation's first organized teacher's strike that took place right here in Minnesota. That story on today's edition of On Minnesota History with Kurt Brown, whose column appears each Sunday in the Minneapolis Star Tribune newspaper. I'm your host, Jennifer Johnson. Bundled in sheepskins, thick boots, and wool scarves, more than 1,100 St. Paul teachers and principals walked out of all 77 public schools and into the three-degree chill of picket lines on November 25, 1946. Kurt Brown says many historians consider that walkout 72 years ago to be the first organized teacher strike in the nation. Some people claim the Chicago teachers beat them to the punch by almost a half a century. There was a 1902 strike in Chicago, but that seemed more of a protest over a discipline case than an organized strike um, that led the way to the teachers' unions' uh, success across the country. Two St. Paul women both born nearly a generation apart, led the 1946 charge for higher wages, smaller class sizes, and school building upgrades during the landmark strike. The chairwoman of the Teachers Negotiating Committee, Tish Henderson, was born in 1902 in Superior, Wisconsin. Her father, Bud, worked as a foreman at a horse stable only a year after Henderson's birth, Irish-born Mary McGuff started teaching in St. Paul. By 1946, she was the 61-year-old principal at Jefferson Elementary School. Principals belonged to teachers' unions until 1971. Henderson, who was 44 years old during the strike, was known as a no-nonsense negotiator who chain-smoked cigarettes and skipped wearing hats most ladies wore in the 1940s. McGuff, 17 years her senior, was prim, proper, but equally tough. Cheryl Carlson is a former St. Paul School math teacher who wrote her doctoral dissertation on the strike. She said that McGuff was a skilled public speaker whose dress, demeanor, intelligence, and knowledge of parliamentary procedure earned her considerable respect from public officials. While both women were intelligent, assertive leaders, Carlson said Tish Henderson's outgoing style effectively complemented Mary McGuff's formal manner. Somebody said at the time that one of them made the snowballs and the other one threw the snowballs. Although McGuff had no formal position in the union, she became the teacher's voice, appearing on radio broadcasts to articulate why teachers were striking. One retired deputy superintendent said no one wanted to go one-on-one -on -one in debates with McGuff because she could, quote, cut politicians to shreds and do it in a very ladylike fashion. Henderson, in contrast, was adept at working behind the scenes. 
Few people are aware today of the contributions that Mary McGuff and Letitia Henderson made in 1946 to improve the public schools. But without their leadership, the strike might not have succeeded. Marjorie Murphy is a history professor at Swarthmore College. She studies labor history. They were also looking forward to kind of breaking that barrier to negotiating so that they could move from a kind of moral suasion that had been the, the central way in which school teachers had bargained before to collective bargaining as was known in the new labor movement that had grown in the 1930s. Western Electric employees swell the growing total of striking workers throughout the country. Thousands of New York telegraph workers also walk out and picket Western Union buildings. The St. Paul teachers' strike was part of a wave of worker walkouts in 1946. It stunned citizens and made national headlines. It started lighting a wildfire of union organizing for teachers across the country um, where they started saying, hey, our class sizes are too big, our classroom buildings are not sufficient anymore. Life magazine even ran a photo of a turkey cooking on the picket line because the strike started three days before Thanksgiving and lasted until two days after Christmas. Elmer Anderson, who became governor 15 years after a stint in the legislature, remembers stopping at his daughter's school to talk to pickets when the strike started. He was a longtime president of the H.B. Fuller Company and a fledgling dairy farmer at the time. Anderson told Carlson in 1995 that he remembered the strike clearly because it was inconceivable to people what a shock it was when the teachers went out on strike. Teachers just did not do that, he said. It would be like a priest picketing a church or cathedral. It was absolutely unheard of. Everybody was in a state of turmoil. Nearly 90% of the St. Paul teachers voted to strike in 1946, pointing to 50 students in classrooms that held 35. Textbooks weren't free, and teachers often footed the bill for children who couldn't afford them. Libraries and buildings hadn't been upgraded for decades, and bathroom conditions were decried. Only Atlanta paid teachers less among bigger cities. One-third of St. Paul students attended private school, mostly in Catholic parishes, so taxpayer support for schools was iffy. No independent school district existed in St. Paul until 1965, 19 years later. So schools needed to compete with other city departments for money, all of which had per capita caps. From the beginning, the striking teachers enjoyed both strong solidarity and widespread public support. I think everybody realized that teachers were underpaid. The schools were starting to slip um, from a building standpoint. They haven't been updated since early in the 1900s when they were built. Uh, the bathrooms were substandard. So you saw a lot of students and parents bringing food to the picket lines. You saw um, Harvey McKay, who went on to a great well-known business career was a central high school senior or uh, in 1946 and he was out there picketing with his teachers so i think fewer than 25 teachers and principals out of 1165 
crossed picket lines to work. Parents and teachers brought coffee and donuts to the picket lines and invited pickets into their homes. The strike finally ended when both sides backed a charter amendment that raised per capita city spending from $30 to $42, with $18 of that set aside for school funding. Albert Shanker, a former president of the American Federation of Teachers, wrote in a letter that Local 28 won the strike and paved the way for collective bargaining for teachers all over the country. Not that the fight was over. Henderson successfully lobbied for legislation in 1947 that required school districts to buy textbooks for students if the schools wanted state aid. That lifted the burden of students having to buy their own books. For On Minnesota History, I'm Jennifer Johnson. On Minnesota History is a podcast based on the column of Kurt Brown, whose work appears each Sunday in the Minneapolis Star Tribune newspaper. Yeah.